Happy birthday to us. <laughs> that was the sound of me trying to sound like I'm blowing one of those party roller things. <laughs> Happy birthday to us. And I've got a little balloon in my hand. Oh, shall I pop it? It says podcast. It's got podcast written on it. So I'm holding it up. I'd better pop it. Can <laughs> you podcast. believe it? <laughs> and we talked at podcast. the same time. <laughs> we're just this one. We're actually just going to lay the tracks over each other, and we just keep talking at the same time. There's no difference from a usual <laughs> podcast. Then. Auguri a noi. Happy birthday oh. to us. <laughs> is that Sicilian style? It certainly is. <laughs> Can you believe it? Oh, God. I'd like to say the time has flown by, but it really hasn't, has it? <laughs> I've lit a candle and placed it under my bushel. <laughs> God, that sounds <laughs> awkward, especially if your, bush- <laughs> if your bushel catches on fire. Then, could- <laughs> then there should be some, some shrill cries of pain. I tell you what, I could probably do with a bit of bushel cleansing after this year of filth with you. Oh, and complaints. Thank you, one and all, for all the complaints. <laughs> Thanks to everybody who's there've listened to us. There've been a few, haven't there? Well, yeah, of course they have. <laughs> we wouldn't be we, if, if they weren't complaining. We wouldn't be doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> now he tells me. So I'm looking at a photograph right now of Johnny Depp because we're going to be talking oh. about him in this special birthday issue and the fact birthday that Johnny Depp issue. <laughs> has, has, has had yet another courtroom setback. Um, Climbing and we, back on the Depp train. The, the big thrill, the big, big thrill is our friend from Brighton, Mr Paul Cheston, who is a former uh, court correspondent from the Evening Standard. 23 years court reporting. Can you and... imagine? I'd be absolutely <laughs> haggard by the end of that. <laughs> well, yeah, but I have to say, Paul looks very good on him. He does, and he's majestic. He is majestic. <laughs> I had and a great he... time doing that. <laughs> and so did a... you, actually. I hated it. I Sorry, I'll let you and... talk. You did not let me finish. <laughs> <laughs> and Paul is, of course, this isn't a euphemism, by the way, Paul is a friend of Priscilla. <laughs> <laughs> and the other court artist, Dorothy. <laughs> no, he's not a friend of Dorothy. Isn't yeah, that he, one called okay. Dorothy? Just because he lives in Brighton, that doesn't make him a friend of Dorothy. No, I didn't mean he was. I meant there's that trio of court artists. Isn't one of yeah, them called is. Dorothy? No, there's, no there's, there's Priscilla, there's Julia, who writes, who um, draws for the BBC, and then there's Elizabeth, who does the artwork for Sky. Are you doing their publicity? No, I'm not. I should be. You'd love I? that. You'd love would... that. Imagine, hey, girls, their launch, book launch. Hey, girls, it's all about me. I have to say, I think I would, I would be very good with those women of a certain age. <laughs> you think so, do you? <laughs> so we're talking about we're going to have a really, a really funny interview actually with Paul. I mean, he was really good value. He's really, really entertaining guy. Uh, lots and lots of stories, and I think we're just going to have. Just what you want for a birthday I want, I, I want to have him on every week, but I don't think we can do that. <laughs> you can just call him up. Yeah, just say, right, Paul, you're on, Paul. Um, And then afterwards, we are going to be talking about the naughty major who's been caught with his hand in the the military till. Not another one. Yeah, afraid so. And we'd like to introduce ourselves. We've gone how many minutes into the podcast disgracefully without outing ourselves. A year later, I'm still Victoria Mitzi, in and out of the BBC like the dusty (laughs) bluebells. I don't even know what to put on my Twitter anymore. And... uh, podcast has been the only stability in my life. How about you, Bernando? 
Uh, well, I'm Ben Ando. I'm a former BBC News correspondent, and um, the podcast has been the only instability in my life, given my occasionally dodgy internet connection. But it's all good. Reliably dodgy. Yeah, reliably, yeah. Consistently intermittent. Before I forget, I've got to thank people for our birthday congratulations and the definitive thread of people saying that they didn't kill anyone because our opening gambit (laughs) was how to get rid of a body during lockdown. And looking back, it's actually really tragic that it's just sort of fizzled on. So you're sort of stuck with us Mm. through your continual misery is the reason why we're still here. And actually all your bums sitting firmly on the seats of listenership. I hope, hope, Victoria, that you, like me, are doing this, our birthday podcast, in your birthday suit. (laughs) No, my feet were cold. I've got my socks on. (laughs) You could keep your socks on. (laughs) That's a little hat. (laughs) (laughs) My party hat. Haven't you got your your vest and pants on? Now I've got I've got a four year old as you know and she um that it's back to the salt vest and pants of childhood you know it's really sweet they go around in their vest and pants and they're just really happy sort of playing with things and stuff vest and pants well you had to do PE in if you forgot your PE kit didn't wasn't the lead singer of Pop Will Eat Itself called Veston as in V E S T O N Veston and then pants P A N C E so it's Veston pants. <laughs> <laughs> No, really? I, I, I don't know, I, I, I think so, but I could be wrong. Hey, hey, kids, Google it. So let's kick off with Johnny Depp then. Johnny Depp has been refused permission to appeal against a High Court ruling that he assaulted his ex-wife, Amber Heard. So as we all know, or anybody who's listened to us more than once will know, uh, last year he lost a a libel case against the publisher of The Sun newspaper over an article that called him a wife beater because in America, Amber Heard had been fronting domestic violence campaigns and suggesting that they had had um, a, a relationship that had violence as a part of it and violence against her. He sued, he lost. He then, like all rich people, thought, hang on, I don't like that ruling. I want to go back and appeal it. But what's quite interesting is that you can't just appeal because you don't like the ruling, no matter how rich you are. You have to have either grounds or a realistic chance of success. And the judge, a judge on Thursday refused the application on the basis that the the appeal had no real prospect of success. What, Lord Justice Underhill and Justice Dingamans? (laughs) <laughs> well, they were, no, they were the original judges, but this would be um, uh, a, a different judge. This is, no, this, no, no. Yes, sorry, you're absolutely right. It is No, it was Lord Justice Underhill. You're absolutely right. It's... Just to try and put a tiny, tiny little bit of factual accuracy into this, um, Johnny Depp's lawyers asked the court to consider fresh evidence about their claim that Amber Heard hadn't given um, as much of her divorce settlement to charity as she had previously claimed to give. She said she'd give the $7 million she got and split it between the Children's Hospital in Los Angeles and the American Civil Liberties Union. But in fact, uh, Johnny Depp's lawyers wrote to both these organisations who told them that um, something like, what is it, half a million pounds was what they'd received all up in total, roughly, roughly. However, the judges speaking at the Royal Court said they refused Mr Depp's application to admit further evidence and we conclude the appeal has no real prospect of success and there is no compelling other reason for it to be heard because they were saying that okay so this this was a tiny bit of evidence 
it wouldn't really have any proper impact on the result of the libel trial. And so that's that. Of course, there are legal proceedings continuing in the United States on this one. Yes, and um, and Depp's side said that they're looking forward to giving it a little push there as well. Absolutely. So there you go. I think you said it all because you didn't let me say anything. The, mm. the latest statement, though, from Johnny Depp's solicitor, Joel Rich, from the law firm Shillings, is that Mr Depp looks forward to presenting the complete irrefutable evidence of the truth in the US libel case against Ms Heard, where she will have to provide full disclosure. So this isn't over yet. Well, it's over in the UK, the the, the, the English courts it's over, but this is still going on and there is still this uh, $50 million, £35 million case in the United States that has now been delayed though until April 2022. Do you know if it's because of Covid? The actor's $50 million US case against Miss Heard was recently delayed until April 2022. So we're right. Oh, we couldn't even believe it. It was such yeah. a far time away. Okay, well, who so knows he... what's going to happen in that year? He might. Indeed. Do you think he might? Drop it like it's hard. Drop it like it's hard. <laughs> well, he's come this far, but yeah, he might do. He, he could do, I suppose. Who knows what's I'd going like to, to know. Imagine how many shillings he paid shillings partners. I bet he paid a lot. But that's, a, but that's the thing. And, and that's, that, I mean, that cuts to the heart of why civil, civil cases are rarely about right and wrong. They, they can be about who's got the deepest pockets, and that, that can make it very unfair. But that's a different issue, and we're not saying it's anything to do specifically with this case. Paul Cheston, Evening Standard Paul Cheston, gave it a mention. He said that there were some um, very nice libel trials that he covered during his 23-year tenure. He is, I mean, Paul, Paul is a lovely, lovely guy. I've known him for a long, long time. And I'm, I was really excited to, to do our interview with him. So without further ado, shall we hear what Paul's got to say? 23 years in position as the court correspondent for the Evening Standard. <laughs> I tried to think what position he got into. But yes. <laughs> we spoke to him a bit earlier. And the trials of uh, Rose West, Jamie Bulger, Levi Belfield, Soham, the Soham murders and Babes in the Wood, Barry George, just a handful of what he's been across in those years. So yeah. should we have a listen to the man himself? Yeah. Paul Cheston, Opportunity knocks. Well, I'm really happy to say that this uh, this time we're being joined by an old friend and colleague of mine, Paul Cheston, who for many years was the courts reporter at the Evening Standard. And I think it was in that capacity that, that we first met, Paul, because I was down covering some gruesome trial, I'm sure, at the Old Bailey, where I ran into you, and it, it turned out that we were at school together. That's right. I was uh, explaining to Victoria slightly earlier that we did work out that uh, we had coincided at uh, the great alma mater that is Kim Bolton School, <laughs> uh, to which many years apart. And yes. we clearly uh, made such an impression on each other that neither of us could remember. <laughs> but, but the scenario played out so that I was the evil, wicked prefect trying to slap down the young, fresh-faced Ando. <laughs> well, that was because I think at that time, when, when we used to have to do our homework, they'd send put some poor hapless sixth former down to have to sort of keep an eye on all the obnoxious little squits who were just causing trouble. Was that you? <laughs> Absolutely it was me, yeah. I thought you were quite, were you just pretending about, you're showing off about your 
past of of crime when you were <laughs> seven. What kind of so what past of crime? I, mean, I think misbehaving. You told me you thinking... peddled comics and stuff. Oh, yeah, oh, that, that was at a different school a little bit later on. <laughs> yes, well, yes, and I'm sure under the firm hand of the Kimbolton prefects, none of that nonsense would have been tolerated. <laughs> anyway, Paul, it's great to have you along. Um, Thank you. I mean, so, so first of all, I mean, I was reading, they gave you quite a send off at the Old Bailey. It was a huge surprise because I really just expected on the final day to uh, shake a few hands and uh, and wander off into the into the night. Uh, but the, the the recorder of London, who I'd known when he was just a junior barrister, Nicholas Hilliard, uh, put on this this grand event, uh, which is normally reserved for for retiring judges, have uh, what they call a valediction in court, and uh, I, I'm I'm put up in the witness box, and uh, uh, the judges a rain across uh, the one side of the court um, and they say nice things about me so it was it was a huge surprise and um, a very um, uh, touching moment that someone from the uh, the fourth estate um, can uh, you know was, would actually be recognized other than just normally told to shut up and uh, <laughs> get yeah. back to the, well, that's the dungeon of the press room <laughs> absolutely I mean you and I have sat together in, in lots of trials at the old Bailey and I, how, how many times do you think you've fallen asleep? I may have retired, so I can actually be more honest than I would if I was thinking my editor was was, was listening to this. Uh, it's, it does happen occasionally, and particularly in the, shall we say, the uh, post-lunch uh, session, uh, it is, uh, it is uh, very easily done. But I do remember an occasion where a more senior colleague of mine uh, was... Um, not only asleep but snoring and he, uh, he he was prodded with a judge looking at him he was prodded by an usher and woke up with a big start <laughs> <laughs> they've got to work on their technique yeah, that's that's right that's not the done thing but the truth is i mean and you mentioned this of the post-luncheon session say from between sort of two and sort of three fifteen yeah. and i i often wonder if you're a barrister is that the time to either introduce the evidence you don't want the jury to, to introduce <laughs> the evidence you do. Well, the, the clever, the clever um, um, uh, barristers time that period, as you say, between two and uh, four or four fifteen, uh, for to to really hit if they're cross examining the defendant, say, or a key witness, to actually really hit them with the with the hard stuff. So you would. Uh, Allow the, uh, the full set of security that uh, during the morning, say you're starting at 10 o'clock and you, you are cross-examining for three hours or so, then you have lunch, then you come back, then another hour or so, and then suddenly towards the end when the, the witness or the defendant is at its his or her weakest moment, should we say, or uh, boredom has set in, that's when you absolutely hit them with a the old sledgehammer and, uh, and expect to uh, spark a reaction that they wouldn't have uh, out of sheer tiredness. Well, tell us about 23 years as the Evening Standards. What was your job title there? It, it was, uh, they, uh, they called me the court's correspondent, not to be confused with the court correspondent who would be uh, St. James's Palace and, uh, or the court of St. James, I should say, uh, rather than just a humble hack taking a note. And <laughs> Well, I don't know, that's a great run because we're not so lucky to be able to cover so much court anymore. But well, that that is true, and uh, you know that I was very lucky to uh, have, shall we say, the uh, a golden period of uh, crime, 
and, <laughs> off, off, and uh, sounds like it and uh, not just at the um, the old Bailey or Crown Courts but also in the civil courts so that uh, it was also a golden age of libel we had some fantastic runs down at the high court in front of the jury which uh, were, were court cases right out of the top drawer the most fantastic dramas you could expect you know, like the likes of Geoffrey uh, Archer and the great uh, Neil Hamilton with the uh, uh, brown envelopes and uh, taking bungs and uh, this and that and forever they were wonderful days and yes I do feel sad today to see the, uh, uh, the, the that courts have been downgraded that uh, there's there's a lesser stream through there are less court reporters and that that is a um, a sad I think decline because what happens in Her Majesty's Court is not only of prime importance um, to everybody and should be but it's also cracking everyday human drama. Well, we know of you from, well, you've come up on the podcast, I mean, because of Priscilla Coleman. Yes. And uh, you've co-written a book, is that right? That's right. In, in, in 2010, we did a, a first book together of her uh, drawings. And as you rightly point out, and, uh, uh, this is a remember that when she appeared on your pro, uh, podcast a while back, that uh, um, she was the ITN court artist. And, and they're uh, still going strong. Absolutely, yes. So at least right, that's happening. Right. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, um, and they will continue to do so until uh, the TV cameras uh, are allowed into court to ruin everything. It was the idea of the book was Priscilla's idea. So, um, you know, I let her dictate. It's her book, really. It's her pictures. Yeah. Uh, people buy it because of the pictures, not about what I wrote about, uh, wrote to go with the pictures. Uh, and, you know, I let her um, dictate matters and uh, yeah and and uh, um you know hopefully we will have another one out uh, later this year um, but i think it was always the case that priscilla probably made a lot more selling pictures to barristers and judges than she ever made out of the tv companies <laughs> <laughs> itn weren't uh, didn't have the deepest pockets but uh, as uh, I, I did point out a number of times never underestimate the vanity of uh, barristers and judges <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. they do. Um, they do, like a, they do like a, um, um, a nice picture of themselves. Uh, and uh, I remember at um, very early on when in uh, at the Jeremy Bulger, uh, Jamie Bulger trial uh, up in Preston uh, and uh, Priscilla was there and we were there. And it was, um, uh, it, it was about uh, uh, November, I think, November, December. And uh, uh, Priscilla's agent at that time, a lovely Jackie arrived and uh, just before lunchtime and the court stopped at one o'clock. And as I was going out, she was going the opposite way down towards the barrister's bench. And she was saying, ah, yes, uh, Mr. Henriquez prosecuting. Now, what can we do for you? Uh, some six by fours or some big six by <laughs> uh, Christmas is coming. You know? <laughs> We're in the wrong business. That's right. Yeah. Book early, book often. You know? <laughs> I wanted to ask you about your book about the babes in the wood. I wanted to ask you firstly, what your motivation was behind writing a book like that? The, the Babes in the Wood case involving Russell Bishop, who murdered two uh, little girls in 1986, before uh, and uh, the huge issues they then ran for the next 30 years, uh, was a huge story in Brighton. I live in Brighton, uh, it's where I'm speaking to you from now, uh, and uh, we moved there in the early 80s. Uh, it was a huge story. In many ways, it was said to be bigger than the, the Brighton bombing, the 1984 attack on uh, uh, the 
Mrs. Thatcher and the and the cabinet in, in the Grand Hotel because it was so obviously someone a Brightonian had done it, and it took them six months before or three months before they arrested Bishop. So it was a huge issue here in Brighton, and. Uh, what happened was that, that, that uh, Bishop was arrested and, uh, uh, and put on trial the following year, 1987. Um, he was acquitted uh, after a, a multitude of um, uh, disastrous occurrences for the prosecution and, uh, uh, and the police. Um, and then three years later went on to attack another little girl in a similar way who fortunately survived, uh, but at great personal cost and was then jailed. Um, but, 20 years later, um, he was due for release. Uh, and the great part of the, the book about the story of, of the, the Babes in the Wood murder is how the uh, families of the two girl victims fought uh, to, to reopen the case and to get justice against Bishop, who they always knew and blamed for the murders. Uh, at that time, in uh, uh, one of the golden threads of British justice was that you couldn't charge a, uh, a man who had been um, acquitted of a crime, you couldn't recharge him um, at all. That was it uh, uh, for the, on the same case and the same for the same murders. So Bishop, had he been released, uh, as he was due for release, uh, would have been able to walk the streets of Brighton yet again. But um, the family, uh, particularly the family of Nicola Fellows, uh, managed to lobby the then Home Secretary, um, David Blunkett, uh, um, so successfully that he introduced um, uh, the bill which uh, overthrew what was known as double jeopardy, i.e. you couldn't be charged for the same crime twice, uh, so that you could if new and compelling evidence emerged. And this is a book of how the new and compelling evidence emerged and Bus Russell Bishop was indeed uh, in 2018 put back on trial at the Old Bailey. Paul, I mean, you, you mentioned double jeopardy there. I, I, I can't remember the exact circumstance, but I, my recollection was that that was also much talked about in relation to the murder of Stephen Lawrence as well, um, and, and, and subsequent proceedings for that. But that's actually put me in mind of something I did want to ask you, which is obviously, you know, during our time, we have seen significant changes. Double jeopardy is one of them, which um, I suppose I never thought I'd see, but then, then here it is. And the other one, which I never ever thought I'd see, but was, which is now routine, is that juries can be told about previous convictions of a defendant. And I think that's made a huge difference to, to the feel of things. Because wasn't it always a thrill when there was a, a, a guilty verdict of, tell, of, of the jury would hear this massive litany of all the rest of the stuff yeah. that the defendants had done. And they'd be looking at each other thinking, oh my God, we made the right decision then. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Ben. That's the, the, the three big changes in our time was double jeopardy, uh, the right to silence, and as you said, uh, past convictions. And it's true that, that uh, we used to, <laughs> you know, try and pick out which members of the jury had uh, uh, fought <laughs> hardest for the defendant. And they're the yeah. ones going. <laughs> and all the other jurors turning around. We <laughs> <laughs> spent three days arguing over this, you idiot, and uh, all that sort of stuff. Um, it, it, was, it was staggering. But of course, how unfair it is if you're a, a juror, just an ordinary member of the public, and you sit in, ju in, in judgment, in good faith, without knowing a crucial element, you would have thought, looking back on it now, that this bloke had done it five times before, yeah. for instance. Uh, that, that, was, that is, you know, in our time, 
uh, a huge change. And, you know, I don't know anybody who'd say it's not a change for the better. Um, can I ask you about how it was to cover that trial? I mean, it was just huge and emotive. And what was it like? What, could you describe the atmosphere? And Sorry, the, the Babes in the Wood one? Yes. Yes, indeed. Yeah, it was um, the, the, the first trial uh, in Lewis, which was you know, just up the road from Brighton and uh, um, was a huge uh, occasion. And it was, as you say, the, the, um, uh, the, the free song, you know, the, the atmosphere was absolutely electric in, in, in so much that not only the battle in the in the court case, but watching on one side was the two families of the murder victims, and on the other was the Bishop family, who uh, he had four brothers, and his mother was extremely well known at the time because she uh, bred dogs and exhibited at Crofts uh, and what have you. And just this between the two sides, and obviously when the the jury came back with the verdicts, which on the evidence presented was the right ones because it had been such a disaster for prosecution that he had to be acquitted. And there was absolute bedlam. I have never seen anything like it. One of the Bishop brothers tried to dive into the dock to hug his, uh, his, his uh, Russell Bishop uh, and was immediately set upon by um, uh, the uh, prison officers. Uh, they were screaming and shouting. They looked almost as if Bishop's father was going to have a heart attack and his mother was screaming her head off. Uh, it was um, absolutely uh, bedlam. There's no other word to describe and what it. was his presence like in court? He, he was, um, uh, in the first trial, he was, you know, uh, unused to this. He didn't have a, a long record of crime or anything. And the uh, estate, but he'd, he'd somehow, I'm sure, conf um, uh, managed to convince himself that because he couldn't remember doing it, it must mean that he didn't do it. So he was very convincing in his air of, uh, you know, I, I'm innocent, this is an outrage, this is all wrong, I'm, I'm, I'm just a poor bloke who's been picked upon by the police. Um, and uh, it was, you know, very hard to take for those particularly of the families and, and, um, and for us we keep a, a, a straight face and report these things dead straight, obviously, but um, it was uh, what we in the press knew at the time was that that Bishop could be the only suspect. And what about this um, this partner of his who gave him an alibi? Uh, that that's right. This is um, the, the uh, um, a tricky thing because um, Jenny Johnson, his common law wife at that time, mother of three of his children, um, uh, yes, uh, was at the centre of this case. Uh, because a crucial piece of evidence was a discarded sweatshirt that he'd thrown away on his return uh, from the, the murders to his flat. The police had found that, but had managed to throw it, uh, you know, uh, not to treat it with the respect of a, uh, um, the most crucial piece of evidence in the most important murder hunt in Brighton's history. Um, uh, and then this is what caused a lot of the problems. But yes, she originally identified, yes, of course, that's Russell's. Uh, by the time it came to court, uh, she gave a different version, said she'd never seen it before. Now, 30 years further on, um, and with Bishop now convicted, the police have gone after Jenny Johnson, and she's been charged with uh, perverting the course of justice and perjury. And her trial um, comes up uh, at Lewis, is due to start in Lewis in a couple of weeks' time. Um, Lewis so is a fantastic court, isn't it? Sorry, Paul. I was going to say, Lewis is a fantastic court. I don't know. I don't know, Roy Whitey, of course, said.
Sarah Payne, probably writing um, Billy mm. Joe Billy Joe Jenkins as well, um, uh, Sean Jenkins. That's, and, and that's it's an incredible courtroom. It's a real old-fashioned sizes, isn't it? It really has that atmosphere about it. It, it is, yes, and you still have a red-robed judge that comes in for quarterly sessions with great uh, fanfare in a, in a huge, big stretch, uh, uh, black uh, old uh, Rolls-Royce, and comes up the steps and everybody has to bow and scrape as, uh, and, and what have you. It is, uh, it is wonderful. And court one, where all the Bishop cases and the Billy Joe Jenkins case, uh, sorry, the Sean Jenkins case and the uh, uh, Roy Whiting case, is the most fantastic old-fashioned Palladian-style um, Upstairs public gallery, downstairs dock in the middle of the uh, uh, of the court. Uh, it's been um, it was spruced up and restored, but restored in exactly the same way. And um, it it, uh, it is as I was in um, court just this week there, and it's 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 wonderfully nostalgic to go back there. It's a fantastic courtroom. It really, it's just. I mean, it, the thing is, when you're sitting in there, and you know, we've, we've both covered uh, court cases in there, mm. and yeah, you know, you're listening to the evidence of the judges there, and it's all going on, but. You, you do have a sense of the history that, that's gone on there before while you're there. And if you just have a sort of take pause for thought, it really does hit you, doesn't it? Oh, it does. It, it is so atmospheric. I mean, it's so many modern day courts are, you know, functional, uh, breeze block, uh, um, um, uh, brick. Southwark for a start. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> what did you say? Southwark. It's an yeah. awful court, oh. isn't it? Oh, I mean, <laughs> shocker. Shocker, yes. Yeah, so, uh, that's what exactly. Lewis such a joy. I mean, yes, the, court, the court, just to, just to go off on a brief tangent, when we did Southwark, um, the, the trials that I remember doing there were, um, well, all, all the, a lot of the celebrity ones, like um, yes. Rolf Harris, um, the, the mm. young woman, the, the singer who was supposedly um, framed yeah. by the fake shape from the news of the world. Oh, what was yes. her name? Uh, um, uh, Constantine. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, uh, yes, I, I know they were anyway. Yeah. But also, you know, they, the Max Cliffords and all the uh, celebrity... Yeah. But I mean, I, I really used to struggle to sometimes hear the evidence because the rooms are so badly designed, you can barely hear. Whereas, you know, you look at the older style courtrooms, and how, I don't know who designed them, but you could hear what was going on. They, they had the acoustics right, and that's really important. I, I agree entirely. I mean, it seemed that in the old days, they, they designed, or uh, architects designed courtrooms as it should be, as a theatre. So the acoustics were, were perfect and you, everybody could hear. Uh, but uh, nowadays they seem to design, um, design courtrooms as a, a, you know, an extension of the civil service or some terrible <laughs> Whitehall uh, dusty backs of, backs of, um, uh, to office. It's, Are you it's trying to tell us that even the judge could hear? <laughs> <laughs> Surely not. <laughs> only, only if he's awake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's he's, true. And he's prodded with a, with a stick. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a long stick, Paul? Uh, well, I, you leave that to the, uh, to the usher or to the uh, judge's clerk. <laughs> what I wanted to ask you was about the trials that you've both worked on together. And do you remember each other from those? Oh, yes. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, well, the thing is, is, it's actually kind of difficult. I mean, obviously, you know, Paul and I would, Paul was, Paul actually used to work a lot harder than I did because, <laughs> because the fact we is, all when, guess you're working, that anyway. when you're working for, you know, ICN as I was when I first met Paul and then on to the BBC, the truth is you go down there just to take on one case. And as, as we all know, a typical TV report is probably barely three or 400 words and that's it. 
Um, and so I would sit there, I'd listen. Paul would come and go and I'd sort of look up and notice him. And then I would see him feverishly taking excellent shorthand notes whereas I was scratching <laughs> stuff down in my sort of longhand because I, 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 I'd, I'd learned shorthand when I started journalism. But in broadcasting, you just didn't use it enough to keep it current. And, and you know, you'll know, Paul, that if you don't keep up with short, shorthand, you lose it really, really quickly. Yeah. And so I would just be jotting down key passages or um, particular exchanges that I would focus on later on in my 300-word report. But I, but you were having to, first of all, probably cover two or three or four trials sometimes, you know, in any given day when there was lots of things going on and you were writing all the reports. Yeah, they would do some of it, but you'd still be expected to sprinkle your stardust over over the stuff the Evening Standard was putting in. But on top of that, obviously, you know, an evening, a lead, you know, front page of the Evening Standard would be maybe a, twice as much, maybe three times as much copy as I was generating. It's true. We, we had very different jobs, Ben, didn't we, really? Um, the, uh, that uh, you did the broad brushstrokes to give your viewers, mm. you know, you might have 20 seconds or something to, to camera. But uh, yeah, I, for, for a front page story and maybe two pages inside a spread or even two spreads, yes, I'd be doing oh, 1,500 to 2,000 words. Yeah. Um, and also with the different editions. But when yeah, I yeah. first joined the Evening Standard, there were five editions. Uh, in fact, two two went before court even started. Uh, so I, I was saying for what they used to call late prices extra, which was the first dish, which would be um, at uh, at midday to come out at two o'clock. And then uh, the, the um, uh, city final and uh, uh, closing prices and what have you, which uh, would then have a deadline of two o'clock and then again at, at half past three. So that I had to keep uh, updating as well. Mm -hmm. But you're right on the other matter that, uh, that he, particularly at the Old Bailey, that I was expected to cover the 18 courts of the Old Bailey and I'm supposed to know what was in, happening in 18. And that um, in dull periods, in cases that you and I were doing, yeah. I'd have to pop out next door or even downstairs or upstairs, or, or as you say, rewrite someone else's stuff. It so, was a, uh, when, so when you used to pop out, it wasn't always just because you were worried about nodding <laughs> off there. <laughs> It wasn't to go to the pub, no. I didn't have to thinking of it. Uh, not always, anyway. But uh, it was it was a hard uh, slog. But the, the best bit was, of course, that at four fifteen or four thirty, everything I'd done had, had gone, and uh, I could either go to the pub or go home or yeah. uh, laugh at you lot who still had most of the rest of the day to work. Absolutely, yeah. We were still on until sort of six, seven, ten o'clock at night. That's right. But, so the cases, the specific, the specific cases that I remember us working on together that I'm thinking about now. Obviously, probably the biggest one was Levi Belfield. Yes. That's the one that I always think about. Yes. Um, the other ones that I think, I think we have memories of us sort of just chatting on natural about them were um, uh, the Soham uh, murders, Ian Huntley yes. and Maxine Carr, yes. and also Barry George, um, Jill yes. Danlin. Yes. I don't know what your recollection, recollections of those ones are. Well, they, they, these were three of the biggest cases, weren't they? And I mean, yes. to this day, um, the Soham case in terms of the public appetite uh, that uh, and the amount of words that I had to shift every day. I mean, even in the second and third week, we were still doing a splash and maybe two, you know, one or two spreads, which is a huge amount of copy for a trial that's been running for so long. Yeah. Um, uh, that was an enormous case. The, the, the Sean Jenkins case uh, you mentioned, yeah, that okay. started at Lewis. He won his appeal yeah. uh, and then had two further trials at uh, the Old Bailey. Um, I don't remember if you remember the uh, <laughs> time when he, uh, uh, Jenkins himself was, uh, the jury couldn't decide on whether he'd murdered his uh, adopted daughter. Um, 
twice. So three strikes and, and that's it. And so the, the, the Crown dropped the case. But I don't know if you remember that as um, the, uh, uh, the, the jury had returned the second time, unable to reach a verdict, and Jenkins knew he would now then be uh, cleared. The court was adjourned briefly. He went out into the uh, passageway outside the court of the Old Bailey. Meanwhile, from the public gallery upstairs came two um, grieving aunts of the dead girl and uh, proceeded to lay into him. You know, absolutely smashing into And of course, the, the security staff at the Old Bailey was sort of taken by surprise and sort of, you know, didn't actually jump in and stop him. So they had him on the ground and were laying into it. Oh my and goodness. The, the, assistant, uh, the assistant chief constable of Sussex <laughs> suddenly realised you know, might have to do some coppering here for the first time. In <laughs> he, he waded in where everybody else was just watching. He waded in and picked up these two Were their legs going like that? This? That's right, yeah, exactly. They were still sort of throwing punches this last <gasps> time and, and carted them off. <laughs> well, I do remember going back to Lewis on the very first day of Sean Jenkins' very first trial as he walked into court. Bill yes. Jenkins, who was Billy Joe's real father, I think, lunged yes. at him and had a go, didn't he? Absolutely, that's right. Yes, and in front of all the photographers. Yes. Uh, so that was that was box office. It really was. That's right. It was a nice moment for them. But uh, yes, I mean, uh, very unusually, uh, considering that he was facing a murder charge, um, Sean Jenkins was granted bail. Yeah. On the grounds that he'd go and live uh, in North Wales, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. The trial. But of course, when the trial started, he was back. Yeah. And um, yeah, so he, he managed to cop a few, didn't he, from that family? <laughs> he, <did. laughs> he was, he, he was a, a, a former deputy headmaster and a sort of, um, you know, fairly not scholarly, but, uh, you know, a school teacher type. Yeah. Billy Joe's original family were East End hard nuts. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. so it was sort of an unequal struggle between the. Yeah. There were, were two different worlds colliding, weren't they? Absolutely. That's right. Yes. <laughs> but out of all the, the big sensational trials, the ones that we, we haven't mentioned, Rose West, Jamie Bulger, you just mentioned briefly. Yes, James Bulger is the... Uh, what stands name. out to you from those big ones? Are there any particular moments? Well, the, 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 the two you mentioned are sort of infamous, really, in terms of, of the horror of what was being portrayed. Uh, and um, it, uh, yeah, and I was at each day of each, of both of them, Bulger in Preston and and Rose West in Winchester. Um, and it's one of those uh, things where um, people say, oh, you know, how awful was this? Well, it, you know, it was uh, what was being described was pretty awful. But it, in some ways, the press have an advantage, particularly a newspaper man who has to take it down. So, the, so I'd be taking the writing the stuff down, hear it, go through make notes, go out and file it on the phone as we did in those days, uh, down the line and, and someone put it in the paper, rather than taking in the breadth of what was actually being said at the time. Um, did you ever experience a delay? Because Priscilla Coleman told us that uh, sometimes she'd come away from a day's proceedings and at the time she'd have her work hat on. And then she went out with the court artist girls one yes. of the evenings and they all were crying at some film which was sort of innocuous. Oh, yes, yes, that's right. They all went out to, I think, see the uh, the bridges uh, of Madison County, and uh, absolutely, it was a complete. It was which is a weepy anyway. Yeah. Uh, and I remember, yes, I wasn't there, but uh, yes, they were telling me that that's you know that, what 
the other cinema goers must have thought, I don't know, because they were absolutely flooded. Would you ever experience that? And it was a sort of strange, there was that delay, or how would you process that kind of, hearing that kind of thing? Well, it was, it, um, I think newspaper one, and, and I'm sure this goes for TV as well, and to a certain extent, have a sort of developed um, thick skin or pro protection that they put up. And um, it is a serious point you're, you're raising here. And uh, certainly um, I know that um, the, for the first time, the jury in the Rose West, uh, which was the first time in, in trials in this country were given counseling afterwards. And of course, none were offered to us because uh, you know, we were too macho and silly about it not to accept it. Um, but it, it, it's a way that you um, try and deal with it. And uh, um, I remember talking of the Rose West thing at the committal, not at the trial, but at the committal, um, which was done in an old fashioned way. So all the evidence was presented at committal, which lasted for the best part of two weeks in a place called Dursley in Gloucestershire. And we were taking down um, the evidence which was being read uh, of uh, Anne-Marie, one of um, uh, Fred and Rose's uh, daughters. And it was, uh, shocking I won't go into it but it was what was being done to it was absolutely shocking and because we didn't we couldn't uh, report at the time so it was just a matter of taking notes that had a bigger impact and I remember it was February and we were in an annex which is part of a, of a, a school a junior school so we were sitting on tiny chairs and, and, and what have you but when the that part of the evidence finished the judge said I, right I think we better have a, a break here and I remember going out into the school playground and there was absolute silence from all of us. And, you know, we were the, the, the Fleet Street's toughest crime reporters, uh, you know, allegedly. And people just walked around. I remember you could see your breath uh, because of the, the coldness in the air. And nobody said a word. And then after about two minutes, Simon Hughes, uh, MA on the Sun, um, made a, a joke about it. And it, was, it wasn't a very good joke, but it was either way, that's what cut the ice and then people just got on with it. But that was stunning in its impact on me and on all of us at that time. Um, and 10 minutes later, we went back in and, and we started all over again. But it's, um, yeah, it, it's, um, uh, you work your own ways of having to deal with it, put it that way. And I how think did... a pretty good point there, sorry. Victoria. Yeah, go on. Because what you pointed out there, Paul, was that normally I think when you're in court reporting and, and you are reporting because they're, you know, it's, it's an active trial, mm. the stuff comes in, you filter it, you rearrange it, you turn it into chunks and then you, and it goes out. But That's what right. you were saying there was it was different because it was an old style hearing. Yes. You were hearing the evidence. It was not reportable at that stage because yes. this is a pre-trial. Mm. And so you were actually having to internalize it and process it. And I think perhaps that's where the difference was. You weren't able to sort of just get it out again. It that's was right. staying inside and festering. That that's right. Yeah, that that was yes. Which you put your finger on and, and termed it much um, more eloquently than I did. That uh, you're right. It's it's it lingered with you because we didn't have that quick turnaround. Mm. And then you know once you've filed it and uh, gone down the line, then you're onto something else. No, th this was yeah. when you were still thinking about it. And funnily enough, I thought, my God, it's going to be terrible when, not that. Uh, when Anne-Marie gives evidence in person, she will go into the witness box at Winchester and describe all this, what happened to her yeah. in person. And this is going to be way worse than what we had then. And when she came round to do that at Winchester, at the trial, when we could report it, from, you know, uh, and we were back into the mode of write it down, rush out, get it down. 
and it just went right over our heads. You know, yeah. it didn't make any impact at all. Oh, can I ask you about uh, James Bulger and about that trial, how, how it was actually done and, mm -hmm. and how the evidence was given and what you kind of came away from that with? Yeah, that was some, uh, again, uh, uh, it, it caused a huge kerfuffle at the time. Uh, the fact you were putting two 10-year-olds, as they were, the, uh, 11 when they came to trial, but 10 when they committed the, the murders, uh, on trial in big boys' court in the full majesty of the law. I mean, very few other countries do this. They, they, their age of, um, not of consent, but of, uh, you know, of, of responsibility. responsibility, yeah, is, is that much higher. Uh, and, you know, that... Other countries were just astonished that uh, uh, we should do uh, that, that Britain should do, do it in this way. I, at the time, I thought it was the right way to do it. But I, yes, the tragic elements of this was not so much what the, the kids did, which was fairly well known at that time. It was the reaction of witnesses who had seen them walking from Bootle Centre to the murder scene, which was some miles, and two kids with a little uh, a toddler uh, and blaming themselves for not intervening you know that was a tragic thing to see these poor people blaming themselves uh, you know for, for no reason but um, the obvious you know if you saw two 10 year olds with a with a two-year-old you would think they're all part of the same family and uh, you know the, the, the last thing you would think that this is a, a an abduction taking place that that was the biggest impact uh, I thought uh, on the uh, on that Bulger trial Talking of them, sort of, you know, impacts and stuff. I mean, any trials that you know you can think of now where you, because when you were talking about how you felt that that was the best way to handle that case, I think what that that made me think just briefly that actually all of the court reporting I've done has made me think that broadly speaking, our criminal justice system is reasonably fair and generally gets the right result. It's not perfect, of course it isn't, but mm -hmm. but I think in general, if you take away all the theatre and all the rest of it. At the, at the heart of it, I think most of the time justice does actually get done. Um, but I'm just curious as to whether any areas, Paul, where you think, first of all, justice doesn't get done, or where there have been, you know, there, there are people who you think are in jail who shouldn't be. That, that, that's a good part. I, I'm with you with that, uh, Ben, pretty much. I think, yeah, we, it is in, in, in an imperfect world, hmm. uh, the justice system we have is as good as any. Um, and certainly, I, I don't know of any other place that does it better put it that way um yeah. the the um there are lots of problems i think mostly with the length of time it takes you know yeah. it shouldn't really take 12 months uh and often much much longer to go from a, a crime committed even with a quick arrest before it appears in in court and of course now with covid all those yeah. Three times will be elongated, you know. I think that's the biggest bugbear with that. But to turn to your other point about, uh, I think, that, like you, that the success of it is that I can't think of, of many cases now of serious miscarriages of justice. Uh, you know, the, in the 70s, there was a whole host of them. Yeah. And the 80s, we know, with the Guildford 4 and the, uh, the, the Birmingham 6 and the Bridgewater 3 and 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 many others, but this, um, I think some of these things have, have long since been ironed out. And I would be very surprised if there is a, a major uh, systemic uh, yeah. miscarriage of justice uh, at the moment. I said that, that, that there has been one or two that I thought, well, you know, I'm sure he did it, but uh, was there enough 
for the jury uh, mm -hmm. to convict when they did. Um, yeah, one of yeah. which was the Lynn Russell case of the little girl uh, of the... Uh, yeah, Michael Stone. Michael Stone. We've, we've covered right. that on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, honestly, yeah. Paul, you're right. I totally feel that there is a lot of a lot of there that I'm not happy about at all yes. around the evidence yeah. from, you know, inside the prison with, you know, yeah, word exactly. of one lag That's against it. another sort of thing. You know? Yeah. And the fact that the crucial evidence has now been lost. Oh, yeah. you know. uh, mm. and, and yes, I... I certainly think that Britain is a safer place because Michael Stone is locked up, mm -hmm. but I certainly don't think that um, it was an entirely safe conviction. And of course it went twice, two yeah. times, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so, and like you, the, the, the biggest issue I have is old lags giving evidence against each other, you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and none of that rang true at all. Yeah, it did. It really sat very, very badly with me, I have mm -hmm. to say, but yeah. yeah I, <laughs> It's difficult because he was convicted. Well, he did get a retrial. Yes, and he was convicted again. So yes, you know there was a there was a sort of a check in there, if you like, a check in. Is it? That that that's right. I mean, and it, and he got the retrial on the basis that the uh, um, uh, some of the old lags were were you yeah. know were, were too dodgy for words. Yeah. Um, well, didn't one of them like the day after the first conviction go in the Daily Mirror and say, "Oh well, I just made it all up or something." Oh, that's my recollection. That, that's right. It was um, um, Barry Thompson, I think his name was, and my old friend um, Adrian Shaw uh, took yeah. the call and went out to see him. And yeah. was right from as soon as he sat down with him, he knew, A, that he was definitely the man who was saying what he was uh, saying, and that he had a, a totally convincing story. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just want to take you back to, to the, I, I asked quite an obtuse question about um, Jamie Bulger and what you were left with from mm. the trial. I just want to sort of go back because you've sat in the same, this is what I find fascinating about court reporting. One of the elements is mm. that you sit there with these people and this is partly what our podcast is about. Mm. A lot of true crime fans, I, I don't know whether you have, you know, they, they, may, they carry a stigma maybe, but <laughs> um, uh, you know, they're looking for the reason. Mm. And I wonder what you would say those two little boys, those two children, or Russell Bishop, for example, what what do you do you conclude that they are wrongans? It's very tough. And of course, every case turns on its own evidence. Um, but yes, they, they, there are certain categories, those opportunist issues, those who um, have painted themselves into a corner and murder is the, the only way out of it. Uh, and obviously the, the huge motivation of, of sexual urges, uh, which sort of covers each one of those things. On the Bulger thing, I'm not convinced the uh, born evil stuff and, and, and what have you, and uh, uh, at all. I, I thought that they were um, just uh, scally kids who um, got themselves into a situation. Uh, they were looking, they, they lived, child away as, as an amusement to themselves. But after walking for two miles or, or whatever, he but then became a, um, a, um, uh, a nuisance. Um, I said, what, how, how on earth did they then carry out this, this really savage, savage, savage uh, murder uh, when they could just let him you know, wander around on his own? Um, who knows, it's, it's very difficult to get inside the, the minds of a 10 year old. What has damaged my faith in that in, in so much is that the decision, which is, you know, I think widely probably right, was to release them uh, when they were 18, having uh, uh, before, the, just before their 18th birthday, i.e. so they didn't have to go um, into Young Offenders Institute and 
be corrupted from that, having spent more than half their life, uh, well, roughly half their life up till then in care, um, was that one, of course, has, has gone off the rails again and uh, is not adapted and has um, child porn issues and, and whatever. And I don't really know what to make of that because information about it because of his identity and all that sort of thing is so limited that only, I should think, a handful of child psychiatrists know the details of what happened in that. Um, so they, the, the, the Bulger thing will will run and run and run. And, you know, obviously the, um, the family uh, will never give up. And uh, Denise in particular will will never forgive them and will go to the ends of the earth uh, to in the hope that somehow they come to a grisly end. Did you ever speak to her? She was sort of protected uh, at the time, but yes, at the end, we got a, a, a chance. But uh, uh, I, throughout that trial, she had a, a, a twisted face. And I, again, this is not any blame attached. Imagine, you know, you're the mother of a two-year-old in these circumstances. Um, it was, was twisted, twisted with agonised expressions of trying, presumably, to um, come to terms with these are the two kids what done it. And I'm sitting... 10 yards, less than five yards away from them, you know, in a couple of paces, I could actually, you know, get that close. Um, so I, I'm not here to judge, but it, it is, um, I still, and there was another program on TV a short while ago uh, about it. And she is still, you know, um, really bitter and, uh, and, and torn up inside. It's, it's, it's one of the, it's one of the cases I, I avoid completely. Mm, really? um i mean i can i, I it's it's interesting and to, to hear from you mm. is different but if i have a choice of going to watch and i'll watch all the kind of gory stuff and everything but it's just that one it's a it's really? yes and she is a formidable woman oh, I, indeed. to hear her talk now but i she said that part of that process was having other children yes yes and that was really I, important I, Thank goodness for that, uh, because otherwise I think she she may not even be with us if, if it hadn't been for that. She was so, uh, life was so wrecked. Uh, I, I have nothing but um, the greatest sympathy uh, for her. It's, it's, it's horrible, horrible. Well, situation. as you say, it's a, it is a sort of stage in court and mm. people are living, they're playing out their lives in front of, as you've mentioned, all the crime families and the, the families, the notorious families, you know, mm. it's just really, you really see the highs and lows of humanity, I suppose. Uh, that's true. It, it's um, um, it, it's uh, an insight into a completely different world that we're lucky enough, all three of us, to be in, uh, uh, you know, reasonably uh, um, you know, settled, shall we say, stable environments in, in which um, uh, our lives are conducted in the, in the mores of society. And this is so far outside that. And to have these people's lives reconstructed in front of you and, and their crimes uh, gone over in, in extraordinary detail, uh, is, it is a completely and utterly different world. It really is. Mm. Ben. <laughs> Do you want to lift the mood or have you got another sad question? <laughs> well, actually, I will lift the mood by saying that I think we had a conversation the other day on the phone, Paul and I. I think you said, Paul, that you are 
kind of coming back off the subs bench and you're going to be back in court sometime soon. Yes, uh, that I've, I've, I was in court for the legal argument on the Jennifer Johnson case, which we were discussing earlier on the Russell Bishop thing. And when yes. that starts, I will be, yes, uh, uh, back there, uh, uh, there with no book in hand, uh, as I was at the Bailey in 2018, which was nice to be back on, uh, on the old patch. Um, yeah. Not so, and also it, it's, a, it's a great relief to be able to make notes without having to think of an intro uh, to find it <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and how to get this over uh, in time for the edition. Do you sneak back into court when you don't yeah. have jobs on? I wouldn't say I'm tempted, but uh, it's, uh, COVID's taken over, it can't anyway, but it's... Uh, um, uh, no, I'm pleased to say that uh, I haven't had any uh, uh, great uh, longing or, or hunger pangs or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> Nor have I, actually. I haven't been back once. <laughs> no. Well, I think I would, but I don't. I mean, obviously now, but... Yeah, I mean, COVID makes it all different. I bet if we did, we'd love it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I find it fascinating going back and just being able to observe it without having to, as you said, Paul, worry about introductions, what's the best piece, what am I going to, what, what, what pictures have I got so I can cover that part of the story, you know, who's done the drawings, is it Priscilla or Julia? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, we'll wrap it up there, I think, yeah, and Paul, you've been fantastic, really great to have you on, and lovely yes, to catch up you. you as well, and no, I mean, maybe in six months we can do this again, because I'd, it'd, be, it'd be good fun to hear <laughs> about your, um, or ongoing stuff. And the thing is, we've got so many cases we could talk about and pick up on. And, you know, there's, yes. there, there, and there is there is lots of serious stuff. There is also some quite amusing stuff. Like, I, I always chuckle when you get witnesses or defendants who think they're cleverer than the barristers. Oh, yes. Who come yes. unstuck That's... and all that kind of stuff. Our well. favourite are the high voices. We like the, oh, yeah, the Levi guys, the terrible guys. Little voices. That's right. It's rather like an early David Beckham before he got voice trained. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. We can't <laughs> actually mention Levi Belfield without talking about the voice now. No, we can't. It's, it's a bit of a thing. <laughs> that shows what we talk about. Yeah. Well, we have Colin Sutton on, and Colin Sutton oh, was. Um, isn't he wonderful? Fascinating guy. Thanks for turning up in your living room or wherever you are. <laughs> when Ben didn't. <laughs> and we'll, we'll, we'll catch up soon. I'd be delighted to, to speak again at any time. And it's been great fun at this end as well, I promise you. Oh, Fantastic. thank you for joining us. Thank Thanks you so for... much. Well, that was really fun and absolutely great. So He's a star. massive He's... thank you to Mr. Cheston. Thanks, Paul new friend of the podcast replaced all the old friends <laughs> <What's going on? laughs> no actually we were, this is this is the episode we were supposed to thank them wasn't it yeah. the uh, the anniversary but first a major general is jailed for dorset school fees fraud says the headline an army major general who dishonestly claimed £48,000 for his children's boarding school fees has been jailed 57-year-old Nick Welsh claimed to live in London rather than Dorset, near their schools. Welsh was convicted of fraud by a panel of senior officers after a four-week trial at Bulford Military Court. I've done courts martial at Bulford, yeah. And he's been handed a 21-month sentence. So what does that mean he'll serve, do you reckon? Oh, is it, does it um, work the same, military court? Yeah, yeah, well, uh, yes, it does. I sentence. mean, sentencing is sentencing. Um, he will probably serve about, probably about a year, I guess. It depends if he's been. I doubt he was um, remanded into custody, so I, I guess he's starting his sentence when he when he got sentenced. But I'm guessing around about just under a year, perhaps. 
And well, here's the line. He's believed to be the most senior officer to be court-martialed since 1815. Quick <laughs> But so I'm looking at this on, on, on the BBC website. And mm. This school, it kind of looks like a, a small version of Hogwarts with a, a fleet of sort of corp- <laughs> corporate minibuses outside. £37,000 <laughs> a year, is that normal? Well, it's more expensive than the very minor ben, public you paid school I went private to. Private school fees doesn't uh, that really hurt? That would sting, wouldn't it? Thirty-seven thousand a year would sting. But absolutely. Were you paying to the tune of that? No, God, no, 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 no. But uh, I mean, actually, <laughs> did you go down with your Tesco points card? <laughs> I use my nectar points. Um, but look, <laughs> I'm, look, so I'm looking at this photo. This so the photo of the school. It's a really. It does look a bit like kind of a mini Hogwarts with like a, a turreted tower in one corner and all sorts of stuff. I mean, it's a very, very lovely building. Um, and there's a fleet of these sort of black, green, and blue minibuses in front. And just in the front of the shot, there's one small child on her own, looking quite lonely. <laughs> <laughs> stuck on her own there. Aww. So 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 he so this 37,000 a year school, Claysmore School. Now but what I don't understand here is so he was claiming mm. so 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 if you're in the army, if you're at a certain uh, a certain rank, you can claim they have the, a thing called the conti- continuity of education allowance. This allows children to re- to remain at the same schools while parents are stationed all around the world. So if you're a, mm. if you're a sort of a major in the army, uh, you might get your child into a school in, let's say, Cambridgeshire, where you live, and then suddenly you're moved to uh, Iraq or you're moved to somewhere else. It would be a bit unfair if your children were hoiked out of school every time you had to move. So mm. they have this system to allow your, your children well, to stay. But presumably the children wouldn't go to Iraq. Well, exactly. This is the point. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Might be a slight change in lifestyle. Yes. The, from the Hogwarts. Com- <laughs> the, lo- the local comprehensive in Iraq. The, the, the Saddam Hussein the Fourth School. <laughs> no, it's the Saddam Hussein 256 yes. Institution of Excellence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, oh, so the thing no. is, well, I, well, I don't understand. So he applied for this allowance because he said he and his wife would not be living close to the children. Mm. Um, but actually, what actually happened apparently was that his wife, Charlotte, actually spent most of her time at a cottage in Blandford Forum, Dorset, and very close to this this school. And mm. it's like, so hang on. So she was living, you know, within sort of like a short four by four drive of the school but she still yeah. liked to have the kids tucked away in boarding school so she didn't have to have them at home by the sound of it hey silly bitch unbelievable well i mean what do they call it they called it an ignominious end to their lifestyle she's distraught well i'm not surprised really <laughs> so i mean the thing was so his his defense was that the um cea system and the 90 day rules this is you have to be night away for 90 days at least to qualify are a mess and they're not strictly enforced and i think what i've seen on twitter since then is quite a few people with links to the military saying yeah you know this guy was unlucky to be caught but army officers you know, have been at this for years. And this is one of those things that everybody knows about and everybody just keeps quiet about. But apparently there is uh, now a a clear move within the army to start um, closing these loopholes, um, examining these perks and where they're no longer justified, sort of actually taking action. So So just to be clear, what actually happens to the cash? The cash gets subsidised for him. Yes, right. The entire school fees. I don't know the exact rules yeah, of the exact Yeah, it's thing. not clear here either. 
Well, because it's not really that important. The point was it was fraud and he was convicted of fraud and he's been jailed for fraud. It is quite important because he's setting a precedent now. And if, I mean, I I think it's quite important to know if he's actually spending, if the taxpayer covers that amount of money, nearly 50 grand. So, I mean, if it's, I'd, I'd feel slightly differently if it was under 10 grand. Okay. Well, okay. So he, so he claimed forty eight thousand for these boarding school fees. Uh, presumably, it's for one for one year because there were. Uh, I mean, I'm guessing that what actually happened was that it wasn't for the their entire uh, careers through school of both these children. This will have been, you know, maybe one year here or, or one term there, and it built up to this amount. And I, I suspect mm. that what happens is. Let's say you put your children in a private school. If you are then posted away, you fill in some kind of form uh, for how long you're going to be posted away and you you get back a, a proportion of the school fees and this presumably can go on oh, as see. long as you're in the army. So, I, thought, I don't know. Because payment is quite different. When I went self-employed, um, I was told that it was really great because you can claim for stuff, but actually I just write off. So those expenses that I could claim for were coming out of my own pocket and I could only get a fraction of them back. The only thing more boring than other people's health problems are other people's expenses claim problems. (laughs) Well, I think it's relevant to the story because if he claims a fraction like I was, then he isn't embezzling £48,000. No, but the total is forty-eight thousand over. Yeah. I, I don't listen. I don't know. I wasn't actually there in court for the opening, so I haven't heard the full details. The story. <laughs> but my guess is, my guess, my guess is that this isn't just one sudden bill for forty-eight thousand pounds. This is two children at two different schools with a combination, and, and over the t- over time. It, that they will have claimed this allowance. This I don't think the, the full 100% school fees are paid. I think an allowance is made, and it depends on yes, how long you're away. I'm trying how, to work out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but but the point was that whatever was claimed fraudulently came to a grand total of just under fifty thousand pounds. But and I mean, how the do you about, his name, Welch or Welsh. I haven't got a clue. I'd go with Welsh, but I don't know. Okay, I said Welsh, so apologies if that's the case. I think the fact that you've mispronounced his name is not the highest problem he's got at the moment. Mm, yes, exactly. But uh, so if you're listening to this, I retract my apology. <laughs> In your prison cell. <laughs> no judgment passed here. And uh, moving on. Well, a little bit of judgment passed here. What do we have to say before we leave today? Uh, we have to say thank you to everybody who's listened to us. We have to say thank you, I think, to our... Uh, Podo Guestos. Mm. Do you want oh, to listen? Oh, yes. Yeah, I'd like to say Jenny, who's glamorous news lady, who's been with us um, through thick and thin. And the thick. BBC, <laughs> BBC Radio Devon shenanigans as well. And Alistair Livingston, we mustn't forget you. Mark Williams Thomas. Colin Sutton. Nick Wallace. Nick Wallace relevant to the Johnny Depp trial that uh, we've been speaking we've been continuing through uh this story and um actually all that stuff's there johnny depp fans if um if you see the little tag of johnny depp on this podcast and you think oh where's the rest of it there are at least three chocker episodes full of depp stuff aren't there ben <laughs> it's it's dead tabulous uh, who have i forgotten priscilla coleman priscilla and paul of course Oh yes, of course, Paul. Um, so I think it might again. be time. It might be time to uh, to revisit all of them. We should have a pod party. <laughs> well, good luck getting them. But once they've been on it once, they'll never go on again. You know that. 
one of those people I've just mentioned won't. <laughs> I'll leave that up to if you're a real friend of the podcast, you'll know. <laughs> Hurry disclaimer at beginning of episode 18 or whatever it was. <laughs> I'd be running up and down a staircase calling Ben and in between other people going, um, <laughs> like that. And then we wrote a disclaimer going, we don't was, fucking care I, I, anymore. I remember when you were bleating on about that. I think you were trying to talk to me and I was walking across a, an aqueduct in Wales. Oh, were you? Oh, bleeding, so, yeah. just trying to save your neck. You can aqueduct it as much as you like. I'm at the coal face. I can aqueduct her. And in the centre of him writing me those emails. <laughs> <laughs> it's enough yeah, to unfriend someone, it. let me tell you. <laughs> enough to unfriend someone. Uh, enough to unfriend someone on Facebook. But luckily, I've made a lot more friends through this podcast. And I think what's really important is to mention the our fellow podcasters as well. Um, and who've become massive friends of the podcast and shoulders to cry on and people to come and join in and have fun with and support at the same time. You all know who you are and we talk to you all the time. So that's lovely. It's It's been quite a ride, hasn't it, Ben? It has been quite a ride. That's true. And, and we're still holding on white knuckled. Hanging in there with the podcast. I just wanted to pick up lastly about Paul Cheston and about yeah. the interview. What what stood out to you from that interview? Um, I think just the sheer breadth of Paul's experience. I mean, he's you know there there aren't many cases you can think of that Paul wasn't somehow involved in. I did sort of badger him, didn't I? <laughs> yes, but what did you actually feel, Paul? Yeah. And you two you were like, oh, let's him. talk about the cricket schools and stuff. I don't think you badgered him. I thought you asked questions that you wanted to have answered, which is fair enough. Oh, really? I was like, coming back to this, uh, I'd really like to know. You know what? I always I always say, I ask the same things, don't I? What were they like in court? Um, what was their presence like? And it doesn't really come to the forefront of most, I've got to say, male reporters' minds. Yeah, like male reporters don't give a Hello? shit, do they? They, they don't care. They don't give a shit. <laughs> You don't really... But, yeah, but you've got now else to do in court except study the person. Well, you've got a lot of... Uh, as Paul said, he was preparing thousands of words of copy the whole time. So most of the time, he's probably thinking, what's my intro on this story going to be? Yeah, I, I, I just enjoy that bit, really, the, the drama that he said. And I, I just wanted to get all of it out of every case, but realised that we had some parameters. Really, I, I always come away from the Jamie Bulger details sort of reeling a bit because as we were talking about the kind of humanitarian aspect could you use oh, that to humanity. a human you know in a human capacity of what those people can do and how you know we're all human beings at the same time I still find it incredible and he dealt with that quite graciously I think he was um he was full of humor but he wasn't he wasn't arrogant at all which oh, no, no, sometimes happens with journalists doesn't it Ben <sighs> <laughs> Shut up! Shut up! <laughs> um, and what what are you happy about still being here? <laughs> what are you happy, happy still about be- still being here? Um, nothing. What, what nothing. should I be happy about something? About the podcast? About oh this yeah, year? I'm happy about that. Yeah, I mean, you, you enjoyed know, yourself. <laughs> I'm ecstatic about the entire thing, as I think you know. What changes have happened to you this year then? Um. Ah, it's been a shit year, hasn't it? Nothing, nothing has changed. It's just the same old crap. Um, has it been a shit year? I thought you were enjoying your business. 
Well, yeah, but I'd enjoy it a lot more if we could get out and about. I mean, yes, I'm sort of, what I'm doing, I'm sort of doing as best I can in a crappy situation. But honestly, it'd be much, much better if we could get out and about. I didn't realise what a social creature you were. Ah, there you go, you see. You don't know everything you think you know about me. Well, or, or sort of what you said. I think you quite like being on the sofa with some biscuits. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yes, I do. But I don't want that to be the only thing I can do. I mean, biscuit. You know, for a middle age with my middle-aged man's sweet tooth, biscuits obviously have their place. But, but you know, I mean, there's a limit to how much time you can spend munching biscuits before you start to think, is this all there is? Well, I don't know if that's the case. Do I? Do we, listeners? Because we've really pushed those boundaries of what the limits were. I think. And I, don't, I don't think you should judge me by your own biscuit. Um, <laughs> biscuit. Do you think love. I'm a biscuit eater? I think you are a biscuit eater. Do you? Yeah, I see you as a definite biscuit eater. Oh, well, you're wrong there. I don't think you. Could, I don't think anybody would go around to your house and not expect to be offered a biscuit. <laughs> it might be a bit soggy when you get it. <laughs> God. You set up for that. I did, I know. Uh, but what have you most enjoyed about the podcast then? What have I enjoyed most about the podcast? Mm. Um, Except me, my humour. Oh, God. Not letting um, me talk. I think it's been a guest. I think we've had some really interesting people on and it's been really interesting <laughs> to talk to them. Yeah. <laughs> That's not what you wanted to hear, is it? Well, we we had an interaction for a listener interaction saying that you should let me talk more. And actually this podcast <laughs> testament to the fact that you don't listen to anyone. <laughs> Go on then, say what you want to say. Let's be having now. it. It's all over. It's the game over, I'd like man. to say, I'd like to say about this year. Oh, yeah, what has happened over this year is I tried to get a sponsorship, did all the paperwork and nothing happened. That was quite good. So we haven't made a bloody penny out of any of you lot. Which is great. You can't get this anywhere else, though. We're unique. <laughs> Pretty special. <laughs> I'm laughing like a drain over here. <laughs> you, as long as you're not smelling like one. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> right. Well, this is all good. Okay. Well, happy birthday, Victoria. May there be oh. many more of them. Oh, I think there will. I think I'm one of those people who's going to go on and on and on, unfortunately. God. I, I already do. <laughs> Lucky us. <laughs> well, at least um, if, if you do go on, at least I've got an easy way out. What? Why? What's that? <laughs> well, if, if you're going to go on and on and on, <laughs> and I can't face that. You, oh, I see. It'll kill finish. you. Is that what yeah. you're suggesting? <laughs> Something like that. Death by earache. Yeah, quite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that really pleases me. What a happy thought to end the podcast on. Bye. Bye. That's only the end of part one. Stay tuned for a very special part two in which we'll be hearing from you, our beloved listeners. So get downloading, party people. Party people.